Um, this has been such a year, hasn't it? Uh, everything has changed this year. And by the way, as I preach this morning, these guys are going to decorate the cross with flowers to symbolize that new life. Um, the way that we work has changed this year. The way that we communicate, the way that we do school and church and learning, the way that we have relationships has changed this year. Even the kind of language that we use this has changed. Have you learned some new words this year? Um, I certainly have. I'm not sure I knew what PPE was before this year. I thought social distancing was something very bad that must only happen on the internet. Uh, I never particularly used the word contactless, super spreader. I'd certainly not heard the word covidiot before. I don't know if you've been using that or not. Um, and of course, the word of 2020 by an absolute long way was Zoom. Clearly, we've all learned many new things. It's been a really interesting year, hasn't it? And it's been a really difficult year, if we are totally truthful. We have been through so much as a human race. Um, some of us have had to say goodbye to loved ones. Some of us have had to relocate. We've had lost jobs. We've had to change relationships. Even the way that we school and all of that kind of stuff has been really uh, challenging. Um, it's felt a little bit to me like we have lived in a long winter, now, I know in California, winter is like a bit of a subjective term, what happens when it gets slightly gray for a few days. Um, but before Laura and I came to Los Angeles, we lived in a small village outside of England. Uh, outside of England? No, outside of London. Uh, and for three months of the year, it felt like it was always dark and wet and cold. From about kind of mid-November through to kind of mid-February, it was horrid. Like it would be, get dark about eight in the morning, it would get, uh, get light about eight in the morning, it would get dark again at about kind of 4.30 at night. Um, in the meantime, it just rained the whole time or it would be really icy and cold. People huddled in their houses. People didn't go outside and do very much. Nothing, was really, nothing really grew outside in that period of time either. It was all just a little bit... Bit cold and colorless. But then around March time, every year, suddenly spring would appear in the air. The sun would re-emerge into the sky. It would get just a little bit warmer. Things would start to bud up all over the ground. People would venture out of their houses, and it felt suddenly like there was all this new possibility, this new life that was on offer to the world. Um, and I feel like we too are experiencing just a little bit of spring, aren't we? We've been through this dark winter, but thanks to the amazing advances in science, to our healthcare professionals, all the people who have just worked so tirelessly to protect us and serve us and love us this last year, amazingly, it feels now like we're just getting into this new time of spring where there's new beginnings and new life possibility uh, possible. And, and the question I want us to think about this morning is this. What kind of life do you want in the future? What kind of life do you hope to have in the future? Are you heading for 2019, the golden era that was 2019, and just hitting go again? Or is there something new? Is there something new for you in 2021 that you've not experienced yet? Today I want to talk to you about your life. And the reason I want to talk to you about your life is because if there is one word that sums up the Easter story as we've just experienced it and been talking about it already today, it is that Easter is all about life. So we're going to have our reading this morning. And if you have your Bibles with you, uh, or if you have a device, you can look it up. We're going to be in John chapter 20, uh, verses 1 to 22, um, and the words will be on the screen as well. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, 
They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers, tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Thanks, Chelsea. So three things I want to talk to you about this morning, about how the Easter story changes everything. The Easter story gives you today freedom from the past, gives you life in all its fullness today, and gives you life for all eternity. So I don't know if you know this, but the Easter story actually starts in a place of mourning and grief. Mary, who was one of Jesus' closest friends, one of the last at the cross, is one of the first to arrive that first Easter Sunday morning. Somewhere between three and six o'clock, she and some of the women go to the tomb as quickly as they can. But when they get there, they find the tomb empty. And for Mary, this is not a sign of good news. It's actually a really serious problem. It means someone has stolen Jesus' body. It's like grief upon grief. Maybe it's a grave robber. Maybe it is some sort of political positioning going on. She doesn't know. But what she does know is that this is really seriously sad. We read about Mary in verse 11. In tears, grieving, in pain, in suffering, blinded by her own grief. But as she grieves, she spots this man, a man she can't quite recognize. Maybe her eyes are just so full of tears. She thinks maybe he's the gardener. She doesn't recognize him until he says these amazing words in verse 16. Jesus said to her, 
Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. At this exact moment, Mary realizes that Jesus is not dead. Jesus is alive. Now, Mary's this really interesting character, right? We first read about her in Luke chapter 8. She was a lady who was infested by seven demons. I don't know if you can picture that. It's like some strange Hollywood film. She was probably like totally unstable, totally on the edge of society, maybe even had been a homeless lady, totally unable to connect with loved ones around her due to the fact that she was infested by all these demons. But when she first met Jesus, she found this incredible sense of healing in Jesus. She found wholeness. She found forgiveness and acceptance and kindness and love. And now here she is at the tomb of Jesus, the very first person to see Jesus alive, last at the cross, first at the tomb. She looks into the eyes of the Jesus and Jesus calls her name and says, Mary, here I am. Maybe in that moment, she realized the enormity, the profoundness of the love of Jesus for her. I feel like this year, right, has taught us a lot about the human race. Um, We have seen some amazing things over the last 12 months, haven't we? We've seen some incredible selfless acts of dedication and service. I live next door to one of the COVID doctors here in LA. I mean, that guy has been unbelievably kind and servant-hearted this year. We've seen many things out of society. I don't know if anyone remembers back to John Krasinski last year. Good news. That was good, right? Really uplifting stuff. And then, of course, we've seen a lot of other stuff this year, haven't we? We've seen a lot of pain as the human beings, we've been put under stress. We've been put under pressure. We've seen like, all sorts of pain and suffering and anger and selfishness and all this kind of stuff. But I guess if we're really honest, it's not just that all of that stuff is out there. Um, I would love to tell you that after a year of having my kids at home, um, of not being able to see my family, um, of battling COVID as a family ourselves a couple of months back, I would love to tell you that I am more saintly, that I, I am exactly the holy and perfect individual that I've always been telling my wife that I am. Um, It turns out that it's not entirely true. In fact, it's been a really difficult year, and I've recognized things not just out there, but I've recognized stuff in my own self that it is not right. In fact, what I've recognized is that if there is a God out there who has any sort of standard of holiness and goodness, and that is the judgment by which one day I might have to face, I am in very, very serious trouble. As Paul says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the amazing thing of the Easter story, the very first and most profound thing as it does, is that it frees us from our own brokenness and our own past. The death and resurrection of Jesus smashes through all of the stuff inside us which separates us from God and from one another. Easter is so amazing because it makes us right again with God, not because we are good enough, not because we have it within us to be enlightened enough, but because Jesus died for you and he died for me. And when we become Christians, when we choose to follow him, it is as if our pasts are taken as far as the east is from the west. They're removed from us. If you came to church today and you feel like a failure, if you feel broken, if you feel that you don't have it all together, then don't worry, Mary didn't not have it altogether either. But in the cross of Jesus Christ, what we find is healing. We find wholeness. We find redemption and forgiveness. And that is on offer to you today. As John's gospel says, this is real love. Not that we loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice, as Laura said, to take away our sins. Um, In the 17th century, there was an infamous slave trader. He was a guy called John Newton. He made his business by transporting slaves from the United Kingdom over to America. He was one of the nastiest, most aggressive, violent pieces of work that was in that area of sea, and that was a pretty low bar. But in 1750, John Newton uh, encountered a huge violent storm off the coast of Ireland, and it almost killed him. He almost drowned. But in his dying breath, he found not only physical salvation, and he lived, but also he met Jesus in a vision. And as he met Jesus, his whole life was transformed. He realized that all of the mess in his heart, all of the mess in his past and his history could be dealt with. John Newton went from being a pirate of the seas to being a pastor uh, in a church in England, and he went on to write some amazingly beautiful words, which you will probably have heard before. They go like this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, was now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. In Jesus, our pasts can become our pasts. We don't have to be defined by the messes we've made. And in fact, we don't have to nail ourselves to the cross because Jesus was nailed to the cross for us. Jesus was crucified so that we could stop crucifying ourselves. What Mary found in Jesus and in the Easter story was unconditional love, kindness, mercy, and acceptance. And that's on offer to you today. The death of Jesus means mercy and forgiveness from the past But the resurrection of Jesus actually means new life today. This historically attested to event, which happened 2,000 years ago, was witnessed by hundreds of people, changes everything about how we do life. And by the way, if you wonder, did this even happen? Is this life even a real thing? Did the resurrection occur? Then I'd love to invite you to Alpha, because Alpha is where we debate, discuss, explore these kind of areas together. At the cross of Jesus Christ, we get mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. But at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we actually get grace, which is getting the good things that we don't deserve. We get new life. I think the second thing that um, I've experienced quite a lot this year is a lot about the foundations of human life. You know, I've realized, and I'm sure many of us have, that so many of the things that we're told to build foundations upon, to anchor our lives to, are actually a lot more fragile than we hoped that they might be. Um, You know, having a good financial plan, being able to go on great vacations, having wonderful health, stability in our politics and our wider society, even things like just hanging out with families, those things are far from guaranteed. And actually, when they're gone, they give us all sorts of challenges. They really leave us bereft. Um, At the end of 2020, the the mighty Gallup did a study into mental health in the United States. They looked at all sorts of different types of people, and they categorized them by uh, gender, political affiliation, race, marital status, age, income. Every single one of those groups of people had seen a massive negative impact on their mental health in 2020. In fact, the secular Gallup organization managed to find exactly only one thing that contributed to positive mental health. It uplifted, held, supported people in 2020. Any idea what it was? 
faith in Jesus Christ. People who chose to weekly attend, either online or in person, a worship service were more joyful, had better mental health than anyone else. In fact, what the Gallup organization, this secular massive organization found, is that the only thing that can anchor you when life is difficult and tough, the only thing that works, the only thing that will hold you mentally and emotionally stable, ultimately is faith in Jesus Christ. You know, I used to hate the church. I used to hate Christianity. I thought it was boring. I thought it was dull. I thought it was irrelevant. And later on, I thought it was just a ticket to heaven. So if I went to church once a year or sorted myself out on my deathbed, I'd be fine. But what I came to realize is that what Jesus offers in Easter is life. Real, meaningful, purposeful, tangible life in the family of God. That God has things for me to do, things for me to be part of. He has a story which he wants to write alongside me. And it's the most life-giving thing I've ever experienced. Mary doesn't just find love in the cross, she also finds her purpose. If you notice in verse 17b, Mary hears these words from Jesus. Go instead to my brothers and tell them. Just a little phrase, but in this phrase is Mary's very purpose for being alive from this point. She becomes the first witness of the resurrection. She gets the privilege of telling everyone around her that Jesus is alive. She becomes the apostle to the apostles. Mary isn't just forgiven, she's given a whole new destiny and life. This lady who was so broken, so damaged, so evil, becomes the very one who we read about even 2,000 years ago. We find in Jesus new life. And not just like things to do, but actually we find that Jesus walks alongside us in the life. Jesus says to her, don't hold on to me, Mary. Um, And that is not like some weird English person saying, don't touch me, I don't like to be touched or hugged. Um, it's, It's actually Jesus saying, hey, Mary, up until this point, we've had a physical relationship where we can see each other and where we can hug. But from this point onwards, actually, you're not gonna see me in the same way because shortly after this, months later, Jesus ascends to heaven. And what Jesus is actually saying to Mary is, hey, from this point onwards, I'm gonna send my Holy Spirit to live in you. And for now, you get to see me occasionally. In future, you will have my presence with you forevermore. That is what the Holy Spirit brings to us. The Holy Spirit is a guide to our lives, providing real life. Um, And as someone much better looking and much more articulate puts this in a better way than I can, which I want to show you on the video screens. I think for so many years, you know, I always just strived to be strong in myself. And it was as if all I needed was me and my buddies and, you know, would be like invincible. But the truth is, none of us are. And I don't want to do this thing called life. I don't want to do it on my own. And it kind of feels like my longing for this, this light inside is now stronger than my fear of what others might think. And people often ask, well, doesn't that make uh, faith like a crutch? And, you know, well, maybe, but, you know, what does a crutch do? Uh, A crutch helps you stand and it makes you stronger. And in that case, you know, sure, I need a bit of that. But especially when it's so much more than that, when this faith inside is also also like a backbone, uh, helping me stand tall and helping me be strong when I'm really up against it, facing those odds, whether it's on a mountain or stuck in some jungle or just dealing with the storms, you know, with the storms of life. Uh, sure, I need it, I, you know, I, I need that. Uh, but at heart, my Christian faith says that I am, that I'm known, that I'm known to Christ. Uh, bought at a price, 
uh, blessed with light. Uh, faith says that we're loved regardless of our mess, uh, regardless of how many times we fall down, and that Jesus somehow picks me up. And sure, you know, I'll reach out to that. Why, why wouldn't I? Such beautiful words. Jesus gives life for today. And that's exactly what we're going to celebrate in a few minutes' time in those being baptized, dying to an old life and rising to a new life in Christ. It's exactly what we've just prayed for Reina and Xander as well. But the third and final thing which the Easter story gives us is assurance of life for eternity. Jesus turns Mary's mourning into new life. Jesus's life means hope for a future means that death does not have to be the end of anyone's stories. I think the third thing that I've also noticed this last year is that we've all had to face our mortality a little bit. I think up until this year, I was pretty certain I was going to live forever. And if I wasn't, I didn't care that much. But I guess, and certainly as I watched my own wife battle with COVID a few months ago, I've realized that actually we aren't going to live forever. Here in the US, of course, we've lost uh, half a million people to COVID over the last year. Some of us have not had a chance to say goodbye even to the loved ones that we've lost. Maybe this year, you know, you've had to deal with the fear of what life after life might look, life after death might look like. Maybe you've had to think about it. A few years ago, I got a chance to go and hang out in northern France and in parts of Belgians on the battlefields of the First World War. There's a small town in northern Belgium called Ypres. Um, it just probably has 20,000 inhabitants, but it is on the ground where 830,000 people died in the First World War. It has the Menin Gate, which is a memorial to 54,000 unknown people whose bodies were recovered in the First World War. All over that area are grave sites, countless, numerous grave sites. I think some people who go and visit those places find them just so deeply disturbing and spooky and painful. But actually, as I walked through these incredible graveyards, I actually found it just deeply moving. I found it deeply profound. Because what I realized is that in 100 years, that that would be me on a graveyard, just a name and maybe some memories. I realized that in 200 years, probably no one will remember me other than if my name is on a website. I doubt it will be in a book by that point, but maybe in a, in a website. Um, in 500 years, if I'm anything more than just a faint memory, if I am just uh, the impact that I had in terms of the gospel and the kingdom, my family, then that will be a blessing. But the thing is, if that is it, if that's all we have, if that's all that life is about, that is actually a deeply depressing and problematic story. But if there is more, if, as C.S. Lewis said, this is just the beginning and not the end, then something unbelievably hopeful and brilliant starts to happen. Resurrection means that death is not the end of our stories if we have faith and trust in Jesus, that one day we will get new bodies, which, praise Jesus, will not be susceptible to COVID. One day we will get new hearts, which are not susceptible to being you know, bullied and battered and abused and beaten, and we will not feel selfish and angry and all the things that plague us. One day we will get to live in the eternity that we all long for. Paul puts it like this in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. 
the final promise which is on offer to you today is the offer of eternal life. The offer of being able to walk through your life knowing that death is not going to be the end of your story, but that you can have an eternal future in joy, in peace, in certainty. You know, I suppose we've, we've all had to face that. But what about you this Easter Sunday morning? Where are you? Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard of the Jesus story. Maybe up until this point, Jesus has just been some vague religious figure who doesn't really have any impact on your life. In which case today, I would love to invite you to give your life to follow him. I'm going to pray a very simple prayer in a minute. And if you want to give your life to follow Jesus, you can do that for the very first time. Maybe though as well for many of us over the last year, maybe we haven't found ourselves closer to Jesus, but we felt distant from him as the events of the last year have rocked our world. And if that's you today, then I want to invite you to come back before Jesus today, because today what Jesus would want to say to you is, Lily, Bob, Scott, Caroline, Gina, Rainda, Zander, I love you. I have died for you so that you might have life. The end of that beautiful hymn that we heard uh, finishes like this. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already come. It was grace that brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. Should we pray?